0: Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Many years ago now, in fact, it was during my Time at my first church, my first uh, ministry there, out of seminary, I was at an, association, an associational event in our county. I think it was a pastor's a monthly pastor's meeting. I really don 't remember what the event itself was, but we had a guest speaker that day, someone who was well known at the time as a sort of Christian leadership, uh, kind of guide, written several books on the subject as well, and later went on to become part of the staff at the South Carolina Baptist Convention. That was the state I was serving in at the time. And I'm not trying to hide his name from you. I really just can't remember it. And I don't even remember the specific topic that we were dealing with that day. Just one line that he said. Again, he was talking to a group of pastors and he he reached an emphasis where he said this line. He said, we've been text-driven long enough. It is time to be relationship-driven. Now, by that, he meant that we needed to be better storytellers. We need to get out of the text and become storytellers, specifically that we needed to focus on testimonies. Now, I don't usually say a lot in those kinds of meetings, especially at that point, because I was one of the younger and newer pastors in the room, and I didn't say anything then. But I did shake my head in disagreement. And the speaker saw me and he called on me specifically asking if I had a problem with what he just said. And I don't remember everything that I said, but I do recall I said, yes, I do have a problem with what you said. Because you're talking to a group of pastors in a world in which preaching has already been dumbed down enough. And you're telling pastors to dumb it down even more and get out of the text of God's Word and talk about something else. Now, I certainly understand why those outside of the church mock preaching and learning from the Bible. But I do not understand those within the church, either in the pulpit or in the pew, who would do the same thing. Today, all over our country, you will find all kinds of communication taking place in churches. Some have concluded that plays and drama are more effective at presenting the gospel and holding people's attention. Others have turned to movie clips. You can go to churches where they will show you clips of popular movies even while you're eating popcorn. And then they will attempt to draw some moral lessons from those movie clips. Preaching is viewed as outdated, archaic, I mean, with all of the technology that we have today, isn't there a more effective way than reaching people or in-reaching people than someone standing up and proclaiming what the Bible says? In fact, the word preach or preaching is largely used in a negative sense these days. Someone will say, I don't want you preaching at me. Don't preach to me. Again, I remember many years ago, I was meeting with a woman who had tragically lost her husband in a motorcycle accident. She was meeting with me because she wanted me to do the funeral for her husband, though I did not know her nor her husband. And at the end of the conversation, when we had been dealing with all of the details of the funeral, the last thing she said to me was, now, I want you to understand, I don't want you to preach. And I immediately thought to myself, though I did not say it to her, then why did you ask a preacher? Why do you not want me to preach if you've asked a preacher? We are, of course, concluding our brief series on the church this morning. You're you're going more in-depth in your Sunday school lesson during the current unit. But we are looking today at being glad to learn. It is not only through preaching in the church that we learn. There are multiple other avenues as well. And I realize that this sounds a bit self-serving. For me to talk about preaching and teaching in the church, as the primary one who does this, I realize that it can come across as self-serving. Sort of like the person that always wants everyone else to know that their job is harder than anybody else's job, or they work more hours than anybody else works. But that is not my intent this morning. Instead, I, I simply want to drive home the need for And even beyond that, the fact that we ought to have a desire to learn in the church of God. To do that, we are going to use a very powerful text today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. And we'll go down through verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Through a series of questions that build upon one another, I hope we can come to the conclusion this morning that we are to be glad to learn. And the first question is the simplest Do I need to learn? I mean, I thought my learning days were over. When I graduated high school or when I graduated college, I thought that I would never have to learn for the rest of my life. And yet, like so many other areas of our life, our faith or our knowledge of God is either moving forward or it is not. It it is either progressing or it is digressing. That is true of any relationship that we want to develop. For example, your spouse, you grow in knowledge of your spouse. You don't know everything about them the first date you have. You don't know everything about them after your first year of marriage. You learn a lot about them when you do get married and when you move in together. But your relationship, your knowledge continues to grow over time, and it does so for the rest of your life. So eventually, you reach the point where you know what they're thinking. You can even finish their sentences, though it is still rude to do that. But you know enough about them that you can. But you still continue to grow. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. Honestly, as simple as this concept is, that we ought to acknowledge that we ought to be growing in our relationship with the Lord, our knowledge of Christ, as simple as that is, I think there is a simple reason why so many people don't. And that simple reason is a misunderstanding about the nature of salvation. Paul is talking in this passage about proclaiming the gospel so that God uses that as the power to salvation, that people need to hear the message in order that they might be saved. But what does it mean to be saved? Well, many people simply believe that salvation is a matter of believing the basic truths of the Jesus story confessing that you are a sinner, confessing that you need salvation, and that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And therefore, you pray a prayer and ask God to forgive you of your sins and ask for salvation. Now, I'm not saying that any of that is wrong, but it is not the complete picture of what salvation is. Countless millions have taken that step, and as a result, they are convinced they are going to heaven when they die. They have an insurance policy, if you will, that guarantees they are going to heaven. They've gotten their get out of hell free card by praying a prayer, and now it doesn't matter what they do for the rest of their life because they're convinced they are going to be with God forever. And so they pray that prayer. They live their life any way they want to. At the end of their life, some preacher stands up, and recalls to the crowd of family and friends that are gathered to pay their respects, they recall the time when they prayed a prayer or when they were baptized, convincing everybody in the audience that they are indeed in heaven. And with that basic understanding of salvation, there is no need to learn. There is no desire to grow. You've got your heavenly membership card, and that is all you need. But biblical salvation is the beginning of a transformation whereby we are gradually remade into the image of Christ. We are made in the image of God, Genesis tells us. But when we are recreated, when we are made new, we begin the process of becoming the image of Christ. That is the transformation that the Bible talks about. In theological terms, we call it sanctification, Justification is being made right with God. Sanctification is the lifelong process whereby we are remade in the image of Christ. And justification, that is salvation, always leads to sanctification. Those two are never separated. When one is justified, that is set apart and remade, that begins the process of sanctification that goes on for the rest of our lives. So biblical salvation begins in a moment but it never ends there. It always leads to a transformation. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be renewed. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Jesus says, among other things, that we love the Lord our God with all of our mind. And as a result, we are to learn. Now, I also want you to understand that all four of these sermons go together. They are all essential They are not one or the other. They are not pick and choose. They all go together. Yes, we are to attend faithfully. Yes, we are to serve regularly. Yes, we are to find fellowship within the body of Christ. And as we're talking about today, we are to learn in the body of Christ. All of these things go together. And as we've talked about them, I hope you understand that. You see, the reason I say that is because we have some who major on one and don't care about another. In other words, we have people who serve faithfully, but they seldom actually come to church. I mean, they're on this committee or they're serving in this ministry, but you won't find them here this morning and you won't find them in a Bible study because all they want to do is serve. We have others that'll come to a Bible study because they want to learn and grow, but they won't come to a worship service or they won't serve. They want the small group experience, but nothing more. And we can say vice versa uh, on all of the four things we're talking about this morning. And the reason I bring that up is to remind us that all of these things are part of what it is to be a believer. We are not to pick and choose according to our likes and our interests. They are all vital aspects of the Christian life. I had a lot of roommates uh, through college and seminary. One roommate I lived with the longest, he had a three-legged dog. You'd be surprised how well that three-legged dog got around our backyard. I mean, he could run pretty well, but he was still a three-legged dog. And so he still drew stares from people when they came around. Because it wasn't right. It wasn't natural. And what I'm saying to you is all four of these things are essential. I'm not saying that you won't get along okay without one of them. But I am saying they're all essential. And they're all necessary for the Christian life. And to grow properly, you need all four of these things. So do I need to learn? Yes. I hope that's a basic understanding that you all already agree with. The second question, again, we're building one upon another. Do I need to learn with others? I mean, can I just get along okay reading my Bible on my own? Can I get along just fine looking up the countless resources that are available online? I mean, I do self-studies in other aspects of my life. I watch YouTube videos that tell me how to do handyman stuff around the house. Why can't I just by myself learn with my Bible open? God has given me a mind. God has given me the Holy Spirit. Can't I just read and understand the Bible and apply it without anyone else helping me? In fact, if you know your Bible well enough, there's a verse that might lead you to this conclusion. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 27 says, But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Well, that settles it, doesn't it? I mean, John says, you have the Holy Spirit, therefore you have no reason for anyone else to teach you. And here is a classic example where we need not only the context in which that was written, but also we need to compare that with other scriptures. The context in which John is writing that first letter of John is, is an issue with false teachers. He actually calls them antichrists. Not the antichrist, but antichrists, plural. They were false teachers who were troubling the believers in the church, though they had left the church themselves. And he is writing to believers who know the truth. He says that in verse 21. He says, you know the truth, and you know these are false teachers. So he's writing about deceivers and he's writing to people who know the truth. And so he says to them, you do not need any more teaching on this topic. You already know enough. Furthermore, they have the Holy Spirit to discern that which is true versus that which is false. So even in that context in 1 John, he is not saying absolutely that you have no reason to learn from others. This of course is reinforced by other scriptures. We talked several times about spiritual gifts in this series how Paul talks about how everybody is gifted, every believer is gifted by the Spirit of God with spiritual gifts and how those gifts are to be used for the common good. And when he lists some of those gifts, he mentions teachers as a spiritual gift given to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, if there is teaching and if there is equipping, there must also be students Otherwise, you call it an in-service day, right? You teachers go to school, but there's no students. You don't teach, you do other things that day. So if there's teaching and if there's equipping, then there by necessity must be students. I do not come into this sanctuary during the week and preach when nobody's here. I did that in my first church. I did it on Saturday nights. I'd go up there and practice. And some of you say, well, I wish you would still do that because you need the practice. I get it, but I'm just telling you I don't do it anymore. I only preach when people are here, because people need to hear what we're talking about. Otherwise, it's not teaching. It is just practicing. So yes, you do have a mind, and yes, you do have the Holy Spirit of God to guide you so that you can read and interpret Scripture for yourself, but you also have a responsibility to interpret it correctly. And all of us need help in doing that. So learning in isolation is never as good as learning with others. So do I need to learn? Absolutely, we all do. Do I need to learn with others? Yes, you do, because we cannot do it all on our own. The third question, do I need to learn through preaching? All right, so let's get more specific. I'll acknowledge I need to learn. I'll acknowledge I need help from other people to do it. But surely there is a better way to learn about God through his word than listening to someone preach for 30 plus minutes week after week. I learn more from panel discussions. I learn more when I get to dialogue, when I get to ask questions and, and dialogue with someone who is teaching. I learn more from in-depth in Bible studies, and the list could go on and on. And let me be absolutely clear. I am not trying to advocate for the exclusivity of preaching. In other words, I realize there are other avenues of learning. You're about to go to Sunday school. That's different. It's not preaching. It's teaching, and you're going to learn there, Hopefully. So I realize there are other avenues of learning. But what I am going to say is that none of those other avenues preclude preaching. We are still commanded and called to preach the word of God. Jesus preached about the kingdom. Jesus sent out his apostles to preach the same message. And here in the text that we read, Paul is talking about the importance of preaching the gospel. I began with verse 17, even though it's really not part of the paragraph. If you notice in your Bibles, it's it's set off from verses 18 and following. But I began with verse 17 because Paul says very clearly there, I have been called to preach the gospel. He says my primary thing is not baptism. Now, he's not demeaning baptism. He is simply saying, remember, he's writing to a church that that is split. There are factions within this body. and So what Paul is saying is, I have been called to preach the gospel to everyone, not baptize a few select people so that they can be my converts. So he's not demeaning baptism. He's simply saying, I have a broader calling, and that broader calling is to preach the gospel. Now, to those who would say today that preaching is antiquated, that it is no longer effective, I would say I absolutely agree with you. It does seem like there would be better methods to communicate such an important message in our day and age. But what I will also say to you is if you think preaching is foolish, that's not a new idea. That's not a contemporary idea. In fact, this text tells us that even in Paul's day in the first century, it was considered foolishness and it hasn't changed. Verse 18, it is folly to those who are perishing. What I'm doing right now and what Paul did in the first century is folly to those who are perishing. He goes on to say in verse 23, it is a stumbling block to others. The message we preach and the means by which we proclaim it are both looked upon by those outside of the church as nonsense. Even then, the popular idea was we need more. Show us signs. We need miracles. The Greeks went on to say, no, what we need is wisdom. Give us logic. The Greeks were very interested in in wisdom and in knowledge. So they didn't want someone preaching. They wanted wisdom. And the human heart really hasn't changed, has it? People still say, well, if God would just show me something, I would believe. And Paul says here that the very, this is the very reason why preaching is necessary. Because preaching showcases the wisdom and the power of God. If it was about wisdom, yours or mine, then we could boast. If it was about my creativity and you got saved this morning, then I could boast of how creative I was in drawing you to salvation. But that's the very reason we need preaching, is because it's not about your wisdom or mine. It is not about our creativity. Therefore, we have no reason to boast, because it is through the foolishness of preaching that God's power is on display, and none of us then have reason to boast. Now, that is not to say that every believer must be saved through preaching in the normal sense. It is to say, as Paul says in Romans, that everyone is saved through the hearing of the gospel whether that's preaching in formal sense or preaching in informal ways or you teaching and others sharing the gospel, we do have to hear. Which again is why the message itself is important. The means is the sharing of the message, the proclamation of the truth. The message itself is the cross of Christ. That is where there is power for salvation. Now remember, we defined salvation a little bit differently, didn't we? We didn't say at the beginning that salvation is about praying a prayer and then nothing else. We said that salvation biblically does begin at a moment in time, but it never ends there. It begins with justification and always moves forward to sanctification. That is the transformation of an individual remade in the image of Christ. And so when Paul said it's the power of God unto salvation, that does not mean just the initial step. It means all of it. God uses the power of the gospel and the message of the cross to not only draw us unto himself, but then to grow us once we have come to him. It is the power of God unto salvation that we need. Now, this doesn't mean that every sermon is about the cross. It doesn't mean that I can't preach a portion of scripture that doesn't mention the cross. I mean, take this series, for example. Four weeks on the church, I've hardly mentioned the cross. I don't believe I've mentioned the resurrection at all. We've not talked about those fundamental elements. And so would you say that you've not preached? No, while we haven't talked about the cross, we are talking about consequences of the cross. In other words, without the cross, there is no church. Without the cross, there is no salvation. Without the cross, there is no need for us to gather here this morning. Without the cross and the resurrection, there is no Christianity at all. So even as we talk about attending church and serving in church and fellowshipping in church and growing or learning in the church, all of these are consequences of the cross. And without the cross and the resurrection, there would be no need for any of these other things. Which is why we do not focus on politics in the pulpit. I don't get up here and try to entertain. I might throw in a joke every once in a while. But I realize that there are far better stand-up comics than I could ever be. And I know there are more creative minds than I've got. That is why with Paul we strive to maintain the focus verse 23 we preach Christ crucified because that is where there is power of God unto salvation and again that was countercultural then and it remains so today Listen to another powerful passage of scripture it is Paul writing this time to Timothy it's 1 Timothy chapter 1 or I'm sorry chapter 4 verse 1 Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I'm telling you, I think that time has arrived. When even professing believers don't want to learn the truth, they don't want to hear the truth, they want to hear what they want to hear. And so we have a choice as a church. We can accommodate to our culture. And in doing so, we can expect that perhaps our numbers will grow. Or we can stick with Paul and we can preach Christ crucified and understand that that will probably in all likelihood not attract the masses. I am confident and grateful that you are here today because you desire to hear God's word because you want to learn from it you did not come to hear my opinions you come to hear the word of God and I want you to know that that is an encouragement to me as I study every week to know that when I stand up on a Sunday morning you're here for that reason and my prayer and I am sure it's yours as well is that we will continue to do that we will continue to choose the means of preaching not because it's the best method of communication but because it is the method that God has proclaimed and it is through the preached word that there is power unto salvation. Now I need to say one more thing because I haven't even talked about the church yet. You say, this is a message on the church. This is a series on the church. You haven't even mentioned the church. So the fourth statement, again, we're building. Do I need to learn in church? I mean, frankly, I can do everything you've already said And I still don't need the church. I can know I need to learn. I can know that I need to learn with others. And I can even know that I need to learn through preaching. And there are countless preachers online whom I can listen to through podcasts or I can watch through video who are far better than you are. And I know that. I've said that for years. There are thousands of preachers that you can watch this afternoon that are way better at this than I am. So why then do you need to listen to preaching in the church? Why do you need to learn in church? Well, that's what I want to talk about in this very last section. For one thing, all of the verses that we've looked at this morning, both 1 Corinthians and Timothy, are in the context of the church. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. As you know, it's a very divided and dysfunctional church. And he's reminding them that he focuses on preaching and specifically the preaching of the cross of Christ. And then when he writes to Timothy, Timothy is a young man in the faith, younger than Paul. And Paul is mentoring him and instructing him about how to lead a church. And you heard Paul say to Timothy, preach the word. So the charge to preach the word for Timothy is within the body of Christ, and this passage in Corinthians is also in the context of the body of Christ. And so I'll say it again. I've said it multiple times. In all honesty, there is absolutely no way you can read the New Testament and not come to the conclusion that the church should be important for the life of the believer. There is just no way you can do it. If you come to the conclusion that a believer in Jesus Christ does not need the church, then you're not reading the same New Testament that I'm preaching from. But I want to give you several practical things as to why you need to learn in the church versus a steady diet of virtual learning online, which is good in and of itself, it is just not enough. One reason is the topics that we hear. And by that I mean, when you only listen to things online, you are in charge of the topics that you hear. If you listen to podcasts or you watch sermons online, you can pick and choose the topics that suit your liking. And if you don't like what the preacher is talking about, if the preacher begins to meddle in some sort of sin that you know you're struggling with, but you don't want to deal with, or he's talking about something that is a subject on which you disagree, you can just flip a switch and you're no longer listening or learning. And as a result, we tend to gravitate to people and subjects that we like versus perhaps something we need to hear. I, like you, have a car radio and I've got it pre-programmed to four stations. Two are country, one is Southern Rock and one is sports talk. And I almost always have my finger on that button on the steering wheel while I'm driving because I don't wanna listen to commercials. And so, especially on sports talk that has way too many commercials, as soon as they cue the music and I know they're going to commercial, I hit that button and I go to the next station. And if I don't like the song on the next station, I hit that button again and I go to the next station. I'm doing that constantly as I'm driving. When I'm at the gym, I got my AirPods in and I'm listening to music while I'm working out. But if I don't like the song that comes on two taps in my ear and I'm on to the next song. I love that technology. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when it comes to listening to sermons, we don't need that same thing. We don't need the ability to just click and go to something else when we don't like what we are hearing. Now, I recognize that you could get up right now and leave. I'm grateful that you don't. By and large, people don't leave while I'm preaching. And when they do, I'm always worried about it. I always think, did I say something that I shouldn't have said? And that's why they're getting up and leaving. So you're sort of forced with with good manners. You're forced to sit here and listen to what I have to say. Now, you might not come back next week, but for this week, you're sort of forced to stay there, which means you might hear something that you didn't intend on hearing and maybe even didn't like hearing, but you needed to hear. And that's one of the reasons why you need to listen to preaching in person. The second is not only the topic, but I would add the word time to it as well. And by that, I do not mean how much time you invest in learning. Instead, it's just a reminder that transformation takes place over time. This is a process. It is not a miraculous infusion every Sunday. I'm not that good. It takes time for God to use his word to transform us. And it is that systematic time, week after week after week, that ultimately begins to transform us. And you need to hear that because sometimes people come to church during their times of struggle. They haven't been in church for a while, and they start coming back because they're dealing with something in their life. And they come to church three or four weeks in a row, and whatever it is they're dealing with hasn't changed. And so they, they start thinking to themselves, well, this isn't working. I mean, God hasn't transformed me over the last month, so I'm going to quit coming. And that's the way a lot of people treat church. But what we need to understand is it takes place over time. It is not instantaneous. It is a transformation over the course of our life in consistently hearing and applying the word. That's why the habit and obedience of consistently being involved, even on Sundays when you don't feel like it, is essential. Well, this wraps up our series on the church. I've certainly not done an in-depth. This is everything you need to know about church. You're going to get more of that in Sunday school. I've intentionally dealt with other issues in this series than what you're dealing with in in Sunday school so that you're not hearing the same thing. And so I want to close by asking you a couple of questions. Number one, are you committed to church? I didn't ask if, if it's convenient. There are a lot of people who come to church when it's convenient. I'm asking, are you committed, which means that it is a priority in your life such that other things are rearranged for the sake of church, not the other way around. So are you committed to church? Let me ask you a second question, a more important question. Is your relationship with Christ a priority? Now, I did not say, are you saved? I asked it differently on purpose. I'm asking, is your relationship with Christ a priority? And the reason I'm asking it this, that way is this, because if you say your relationship with Christ is a priority, you will then be committed to church. The two are inseparable. If, you, if Christ is a priority, then church will be a commitment. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your church. We know this does not belong to us, it is your church. And we are your body. And thank you that we have the opportunity, even as we talked about earlier, uh, some people around the world do not have the opportunity to hear the gospel or gather with other believers, but we do. So we thank you for that privilege and pray that we would not take it for granted. And I pray that we would continue to be committed to you, even as we are committed to your church. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing and you respond.